This episode is brought to you by Prime Video's incredible new film, 13 Lives, based on the gripping true story of the 2018 Thai cave rescue. If you've been listening for a while, you'll know of this story from my all-time favourite episode with Dr. Richard Harris in episode 102. And now you can watch it unravel from August 5th. It's like taking those thoughts to court. I'm like, all right, we're going to court. We're going to put this to the evidence. Like what's the evidence that is there that says that this isn't going to work? To be able to know that something may end, something may not stay the same forever is really important to come to terms with as well. There's a natural cycle. You know what? If I look back on the last five years and know what I've done, if something was to happen tomorrow and we couldn't continue, it would still have been successful. Welcome to the Seize the Yay podcast. Busy and happy are not the same thing. We too rarely question what makes the heart sing. We work, then we rest, but rarely we play and often don't realise there's more than one way. So this is a platform to hear and explore the stories of those who found lives they adore. The good, bad and ugly, the best and worst day will bear all the facets of seizing your yay. I'm Sarah Davidson, or Spoonful of Sarah, a lawyer turned fun entrepreneur who swapped the suits and heels to co-found Matcha Maiden and Matcha Milk Bar. Seize the Yay is a series of conversations on finding a life you love and exploring the self-doubt, challenge, joy and fulfilment along the way. Lovely neighborhood. I hope you're surviving the final weeks of winter. I can't believe how fast this year is going, but I'm okay with it if it means we're inching closer to spring. Thank you all so much for the lovely feedback on the past few weeks of episodes and the anonymous Q&A. I'm so glad that last week's fertility and IVF episode in particular did help some of you on your own journeys. Wasn't Erin Holland just such an amazing woman? The adoption episode is also coming to you next week, but speaking of incredible women, I've squeezed another amazing story in between this week. I heard about today's guest through her brother, who happens to be our editor here at CZA. Very huge shout out to Sam Blucker. Sam, I know you're listening at the podcast butler. If anyone needs anything podcast or audio related, he is literally a lifesaver. One of my favorite people, one of the nicest guys going around. So it was no surprise to me that his sister Amy is just as much of a legend. Amy Blacker, started out as a paediatric occupational therapist, even after not actually knowing what occupational therapy was until she finished high school. She's one of those amazing examples of not really knowing where you want to end up, meaning you're open-minded enough to stumble upon where you were supposed to end up all along. She is the co-founder and director of Surfing the Spectrum, a not-for-profit surf therapy initiative working to positively impact the lives of families and their children with autism. In anticipation of their next fundraiser this Saturday, the 20th of August, I just had to scream from the rooftops about the transformative work she and her team are doing. So I hope you are as inspired and moved as I am. Amy, welcome to Seize the Yay. Hello. Thanks for having me. (laughs) Oh, it's a pleasure. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited. This is one of those rare episodes, you guys, where a lot of this information I will be hearing for the first time along with you. And though it's always like meeting a brand new person, 
is one of my favorite, most exciting things ever. So thank you so much for joining. Such a pleasure. So before we get into it, you may have heard from your wonderful brother, everyone. Amy's brother, Sam, is the incredible editor of this show and he has saved my life over and over and over again. So I already adore you and your family. (laughs) But as you may have heard from Sam, before we get into your pathway or as I say, your path, yay, and how you sort of got to where you are, my icebreaker question for everyone is what is the most down-to-earth thing about you? And I think if anyone encountered you through your work or through the chapter you're in now, it's really easy to assume, you know, you're, you've got it all together, you're changing the world, but, uh, you know, I think we all have something really normal and down to earth about us. Uh, yes, I hope so. I hope most of me is um, down to earth, the most down to earth thing about me. What would Sam say? What would Sam say? Um, I never stick at anything. <laughs> I don't know if that makes me down to earth, but growing up and still, I remember that comment stayed with me from my brother. Whether it was like karate or athletics or anything, except for surfing. Surfing's been the only thing in my life that's sort of stuck. But I'm pretty good at just testing out a few different things, I guess. So yeah, I think that's a good thing. I feel like <laughs> you could either word that I don't stick at anything or you could word it as I'm adventurous. I've got a good appetite for trying new yeah, things. Yeah, yeah. I don't like to get pigeonholed. Yeah, and also you've stuck with one thing and that's all you need to do. Only one thing needs to stick, right? Yeah, like- I think so. I think so. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I like that one. I think that's very relatable. I think lots of people try lots of things and just don't stick with them forever. So. Yeah, and sometimes you feel like a bit like, oh, I was going to stick with this and I was going to do yoga every day or oh, yeah. every week or whatever it is. And me and my partner actually were really good at not quite doing it, but knowing that that's just pretty human experience. I love all those memes that are like, you know, don't be a quitter. I'm like, actually, I'm a quitter. Yeah. No, I'm going to be a quitter today. (laughs) (laughs) I'm okay with being a quitter today. Yeah, that's fine by me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) So the first section of the show is your way to yay, which is really just going through all of the chapters of things that you might have tried and quit. Yes, yes. To sort of show that, you know, the with surfing the spectrum, as we'll get into, you know, it can appear like that's been your lifelong purpose, that you always knew this was going to be where you would end up. And the passion that you have now isn't necessarily always the passion that you knew you'd have later. So I like to go back to sort of childhood and trace back through all the dots and see how they connect because I think it's reassuring for anyone whose dots haven't connected yet that, you know, no one's pathway is straight or direct or obvious. So take us back to young Amy. It's actually interesting. I feel like in the past 12 months I've come back to maybe mm, enjoy, relate to young, daggy, that's my first goal for 2022 was embrace your dagginess. Oh, I love that. that. Because I was just, oh, for so long, didn't embrace it or tried not to, I think, when I was a kid. I had a lot of trouble at school, really, just with feeling quite on the outside or not right. quite fitting in or moving schools, being bullied. So for me, young Amy was quite shy and reserved. And now Amy is still shy too, but <laughs> but I suppose to to a bigger extent. And it's interesting feeling so yeah on the outside or disconnected. But moving through all that space, it's always been connected to people or community, no matter the sort of work or pathways that I've been. So something's always kept me within that field, I suppose. Mm. But yeah, young Amy had 
a lot more luck maybe doing lots of activities, whether it was surfing or being outside or being in nature or more connected to animals or things like that rather than particularly people and social settings. Yeah. 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 It's so interesting that you you said that now you're sort of getting back in touch with that person because I think whatever f- our childhood looked like, we very quickly let go of that person as yeah. we grow up and if anything yeah. try and kind of stifle those things and yeah. assimilate. Yeah. Especially when you're going through those stages in young adolescence or I think for me I've got and, you know, it was always in my school reports, it was always in my, my jobs, like Amy is a great member of the team, blah, 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 <laughs> like, you know, but all these things because I'm really quite good at fitting in to do whatever needs to be done or fulfil a role or work cohesively with other people but sometimes when you're quite good at that you don't really understand who you are or what parts of yourself you're not really living out yeah and I suppose that's where yeah I've made more of a conscious effort I suppose that that's the parts that are me that that need to be embraced by me (laughs) yeah yeah oh that that's so articulate and I think it's a lot of people will resonate with I don't know, our, our identity from childhood to adulthood is just there's so many layers and there's unwrapping mm. and there's rewrapping and I think it's so fascinating. I had like a different pathway but still remember being bullied quite a lot and suppressing all the mm. parts of me that I felt led to that. Yeah. And you just now as an adult look back at small you and just like your heart breaks <laughs> for that that tiny person. I know. (laughs) Yes. Yes. (laughs) So you obviously found a lot of solace in the water and in nature and like growing up in Mm. Port Macquarie. Obviously that's, you know, a lot easier than it might have been in, say, Melbourne. Yes. Yes. Very lucky to have grown up in a coastal town and me and my partner actually moving back to Port Macquarie soon, which is really exciting. Yeah. (gasps) And I guess that's Definitely. The ocean's been such a space. Yeah, solace. That's a good good way to, to explain it, I suppose. And surfers have quite a strong connection to nature mm. just because you're so immersed in it. It's such an immersive experience from a sensory point of view, I suppose. That's, yeah, how you see, what you smell, how it feels, like you can't escape it in any sense. So, gets you quite connected with yourself and and the environment around you that you can feel a little bit, I'm not so much grounded, I suppose, for me, but alive. Mm. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So having that as your, obviously quite a common theme throughout your life, but not necessarily sort of wanting to be a pro surfer or have that as your career. I think one thing that's really interesting in people's pathways is finding a passion than finding a profession and whether they're connected or they're not connected and sometimes they start disconnected and then they end up, you move back closer towards something that you're really passionate about. When you were sort of in high school and trying to find your way and the idea of a career started to first become a thing, like I can't just do what I love and what makes me feel good. I actually have to like make a living and and have a job. Like, you know, how did you start to decide who you were going to be at that stage in your life? Did you actually think about turning surfing into a job or was it always your passion on the side and then you were going to have a profession as well? I think like I, I think it was my job 
in high school was doing like surf coaching. That was like the, the dream. <laughs> as, a, as a teenager, that was the dream. Like I just got to spend all day at the beach and get paid for it. That quickly sort Win. of changes. The older, the older you get, the quicker you're like, this is actually a really exhausting job physically and you kind of isn't as exciting down the track. But as, as a teenager, that was, I guess, as surfing was. But I suppose the passion was more, no, they weren't really connected. I suppose they were definitely separate things and how they perhaps wove together was through some really great mentors of mm. mine and that when I started, so when I finished school, it was my mum who said, why don't you look at doing occupational therapy? And I was like, like most people at the time, they're like, what, what is occupational <laughs> therapy? What, what is that? Like is that re- work rehab or, or something like that, which is what I get asked all the time. But once I started looking into it and seeing how diverse it could actually be as a, as a profession and it was enabling people to really do their, the occupations that were most important in their life, I was like, oh, yeah, like I can see, I could see how that could fit and you could work in, whether it's in a hospital, getting people back home after surgery and making sure they've got the right equipment to keep them safe, whether it's doing home modifications for people with disabilities or wheelchair users, whether it's in mental health and supporting people. So occupations in the broadest sense is everything that that we do. Like it's you running Mm. a podcast, it's me going surfing, it's kids playing in the sand. Whatever someone does with something to occupy their time is, is their occupation. And so in that sense, as an OT, you're ensuring that everyone else is going to be able to continue on with their passions and what gives them meaning to their life, mm. I suppose, which was quite, yeah, enabling. It feels like something that I was going to, yeah, participate in and I was like, yeah, no, that, that sounds good. And it was my OT sort of teachers that connected in a more social justice framework that I started to see how surfing could fit in to this and and build community yeah so I was reading that you specialized in pediatric OT and I think firstly it is so interesting that you didn't even know what OT was (laughs) when you first graduated school and I think that's a really big thing that we kind of think there's like seven jobs that exist when we're at Mm. school and then you think you have to pick one of them forever but you don't even know that there's actually a million different jobs. There are jobs that won't exist by the time you get, you know, there's so many different things. So it's fascinating that firstly you didn't know what it was, but then when you did find out that you were like, this this is it, this could be Mm. me. But that surfing wasn't part of it at the beginning and that, you know, everything unravels in chapters. So starting as in, you know, the pediatric side of things, how did you actually qualify and then how long did you work before you realised you could turn it into something else? Like how did it all develop? I'm sure it wasn't just like an overnight success. It was not overnight. <laughs> Definitely it was not overnight. It was. It was these small, tiny bits and pieces along the way. So I studied at Newcastle University and it's a four-year course. And I have to say, like in the first few years is looking at anatomy the real body science-based components. And you know what? There's definitely times where I was like, this is really dry. Yeah. <laughs> what, are, what am I doing? But I kind of just, it was one thing, here we go. It was another thing that I was like, I'm sticking in, I'm <laughs> I'm doing this and finding some mentors along the way. And it was sort of in, in one class, my teacher, Elisa, was giving us this, it was a, the project was like a call to action. So what 
occupational marginalization. So what's something that you're seeing that's in the community where a group is being marginalized or deprived of accessing resources or, or their occupation of choice? And how can you be a, a call to action to support them? And that really got me. I was like, well, we can do this as OTs. Like this is this is another part of it too. It's not just the one-on-one face-to-face stuff, but it's actually a social change component that that we can contribute. And that's what sort of pulled me in. And I think I did a um, veterans surfing idea at that point in time because I saw <gasps> there was an OT wow. in the States, Carly Rogers, and she'd started a, a veterans surfing program to support them with PTSD as a way oh because gosh. of such big risk takers and, and the trauma that they'd experienced surfing was providing a space for them to explore that component of PTSD, being a risk-taking hobby as it is, Mm. but the modality of surfing and being outside and being in nature was really conducive as a therapeutic use. And I was like, oh, wow, that's really exciting. So that was sort of like the first point. And then my mum was working with DVA at the time and she kind of, I think she must have said, like, why don't you just, try it. And so we sort of just set up a day at the surf school in Port Macquarie. And I was like, I'm oh, just going to give it a crack. What's the <laughs> worst that can happen? Yeah. I mean, babe, I can quit it later. So yeah, like- <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Like it's just, it doesn't matter. <laughs> and it went really well. I got my other friend who was a yoga teacher to come along, ran through like a yoga class with the guys. And because obviously I knew the surf school owners, I got them on board. And they all, yeah, they all had a really great time because mum often coordinated the volunteer group for the DVA and she would say the boys and the men would always do their meetings outside, like if they they had their weekly coffee catch-ups because they don't want to be inside or enclosed in these spaces. So it kind yeah. of fit. It was amazing to see how it could fit really well and just it just sort of happened and I was like, oh, wow, okay, I could, I could do something with this. And then, yeah, that was it for a while. Like that was just like towards the end of my fourth year of uni. So I guess I let that sit for a while. That was a project that I did. And then there was One Wave mm. is all it takes grant there in Bondi. Yeah. He with started like the fluoro. with the fluoro Fridays. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I sort of just got into that from there. Maybe after I finished uni, I was working in pediatrics, but this was in mental health. It sort of was really easy to flow between a few different things. I think that's sort of been something I've always done is not just done one thing. I think I had my first OT job started full time and I think I was full time for about six months. So then like, <laughs> I was like nope. dropping back and then, um, and it was voluntary. Like the, the Fluoro Fridays that I ran then led into Waves of Wellness which they run a uh, mental health surf therapy program too. So before it was Waves of Wellness, it was One Waves Surf Experience. So that was with Joel Pilgrim. He was an OT as well and a good friend. And so there was just all these things that sort of led to opportunities that I was like, I'm just going to pursue it. I suppose I was led more by by that sensation or feeling about that feels right more so than mm. what I should do is stay in this job that's five days a week and, and it's full yeah. time and I get all these benefits. So that's not been something that I've experienced in the past 
eight years being an OT yeah. is, um, <laughs> I don't know, <laughs> stability. <laughs> Which, yeah, that comes at a cost itself, I suppose, if that's what some people or, or how you feel. But it's given me the opportunity to explore the possibilities and the depth of what I could do in, in my mm. role as OT. So then, yeah, I was running those Fluoro Fridays and the, the one-wave surf experiences for 12 months. This is after graduation during your first job? Yeah, during my first yep. job. And then what happened? What happened for me? <laughs> I mean, even to that point, I think it's really cool that even once you do know what an OT is, I, I think from the outside you kind of think hospital, you think like rehab centre. Mm. Even inside that job you don't necessarily know how diverse – you can make it, you know. I think mm. the way that people often perceive their careers is in a very reactive way. Like it's this is what happens to me, not, oh, I could be proactive and I could make this into a more broad thing. I could go part-time yeah. and do something else on the side and turn it into a fully, you know, a fully-fledged initiative. Yeah, I feel like it's so reassuring to hear someone's story that just was like I chose not to necessarily do the stability certainty route and it's all worked out really well because I'm not suited to that. You know, we're all yeah. very different and that suits some OTs for sure but but not everyone has to go that way and it can still work out. Exactly. There's more than one pathway to move through it, I guess. It's mm. just being – it's not even feeling confident, I suppose. It's just making sure that you're, you're listening to what actually feels good for you really, mm. like what's really going to be the path that you want to choose, not not what you're being told you should do. The shoulds. Yeah, the shoulds. Can I ask in that context, one of the things we talk about a lot in the NATA, which is the challenges that you face along the way, and it kind of ends up weaving into the story anyway, but one mm. of the biggest challenges people seem to have, and that I definitely have in trying something new, especially something a bit different to what's conventional, is the self-doubt, the fear, the whole like without stability, how am I going to make money or finances aside, like can I do this? Am I going to fail? Is it going to look silly? What are people going to think? How did you tune in more to the how it feels good than how it feels bad? Because I feel like you often feel both at the same time and some people get so overwhelmed by the fear side that they can't even hear anything else. Yeah, that's really true. Definitely have heard a lot of the fear <laughs> side <laughs> as well. And you know what? It's still there. It's still going. And I mean, it's um, maybe listening to it within reason. Yeah. I had, and I, I've been talking to my partner about this too, but I feel like when, and it feels like there's like a freight train running through your head of this, like at yes. nighttime, all the thoughts come at once. You're like, huh. <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing. So obviously that's not the best time to look at it, but that's usually when it comes for me is that that nighttime freight train arrival of <laughs> this, but this, but this, but you can't do this because that obviously won't work. And so then I just, it's like taking those thoughts to court is how I, I'm like, all right, we're going to court. <gasps> we're going, we're going to put a gun, we're going to put this to the evidence. Like what's the evidence that is there that says that this isn't going to work? Like suggest it, like what's really there. And obviously maybe there's some things like, oh, there's not a big enough reach. People aren't going to be in the area or Usually there's not that much. Not as bad <laughs> as not, you think anyway. It's not yeah. as bad as you think, yeah. <laughs> or even if it is there, it's like, all right, so that exists, but how can you manage that? Like if it mm. really does get turned upside down, you're not stuck. 
Like yes. even even I suppose another really useful thing for us was, and it's a whole other conversation around just setting up a charity to start with. I just went in completely <laughs> blind. I had no idea what I was doing. I was like, yeah, set up a charity. Me and Talia, cute. We're like, that's it. that's so yeah, cute. <laughs> cute. We can do that. Yeah, easy. Oh my gosh. <laughs> But one mentor in the first meeting that Talia, so Talia is the co-founder with me with Surfing the Spectrum, the first thing he said to us is, what's your exit strategy? And me and Talia, like, you know, just at the start, we're like, what do you mean our exit strategy? Like, We haven't even entered yet. Yeah, we haven't even (laughs) entered properly. (laughs) But it's only been in the last few years that I've been like, that's actually been really important. And I guess that's also ensuring that we don't come across sort of founder's syndrome. I think that's what they call it, where you get really stuck in your ways and really stuck in thought. But the natural process of that life-death life cycle, it exists. So it's Mm. to be able to know that something may end, something may not stay the same forever is really important to come to terms with as well. There's a natural cycle that you can't just be like, it's not going to work. It's like, well, you know what? If I look back on the last five years and know what I've done, if something was to happen tomorrow and we couldn't continue, it would still have been successful. What I did was still successful. So that's been really um, good to come to terms with in the last 12 months with redefining what that sort of looks like. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Amazing. I feel like that whole last five minutes is just a soundbite for the entire show. <laughs> like that is so exactly what yeah. this philosophy is about. It's like mm. find your yay, seize it, and then it evolves. And it's not mm. like this static place that then I can found of the charity. It's everything I ever wanted. It's doing exactly what I want it to do and it's going to stay there forever. Like, no, yeah. it's not supposed to. You're not no. supposed to stay the same either. No, that's it. And that's the same with passion. Like passion's a feeling. It's a sensation. It's, you know, mm. when I'm, when I am surfing, when I'm in the bush, when the suns in the trees it's a sensation or a feeling it's when you're cooking for people that you love it's not just one thing it's not just like this is my passion or if you just sort of like standing there being like I'm just you know looking looking for my passion just sitting around waiting it's like oh you're never gonna find it like you just need to see it in every little bit of things that you do each day because it's Mm. it's there because it's a feeling that we experience yeah I love that Lovely neighborhood. it isn't news to anyone that episode 102 with Dr. Richard Harris is possibly my personal favorite episode of all time. One of my ultimate messages here is that it doesn't matter how unusual or unique your personal combination of yay is, someone out there is looking for exactly that and nobody could ever have known that an anesthetist cave diver was the key to one of the hardest rescue missions of our time. They say you remember exactly where you were the moment you heard about a disaster like 13 young boys getting stuck in a cave almost impossible to reach for 18 days. It may just be me, but I feel like the details of just how impossible the rescue was went over my head at the time and I never really grasped that they may not survive. So what I do remember was the moment two years later when I realised the dive just to reach them was so hard it took the life of a Navy SEAL and could take 11 hours return, that it was through coffee-coloured water in tunnels so narrow it touched both their chest and back at the same time, that the boys had to be sedated to prevent panic in the multi-hour dive and restrained to stop their limbs getting cut off by jagged rocks, and that even the divers themselves weren't sure they'd come out the other end until hours later when they did. 
These and so many other details of this impossible feat still give me goosebumps. It's one of my favorite stories to hear over and over again. And now you can watch the mission unravel in the incredible new film based on the true story, 13 Lives on Prime Video. Directed by Ron Howard and starring the likes of Joel Edgerton and Colin Farrell, you'll get goosebumps, spine tingles, tears of despair and tears of hope. It is streaming from August 5th, so it's out now. Do not miss out. So Talia was in the disability sector. You were working as an OT, both deep love for surfing. Yes. And then this idea, surfing the spectrum. Yep. (laughs) Yeah, by then I'd been doing the one-way surf experience and the Fluoro Fridays. Talia and I still both worked. See, I still worked as a surf coach and an OT at the same time because I just loved not doing Just one thing. thing. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And my job at the time as an OT, I was driving a lot. So from Newcastle, driving up, you know, up to Scone, up the Hunter Valley, it was a lot of driving to more rural areas, which I really enjoyed, but it wasn't as physically active as I really needed. And so that sort of gave me a break when I just thought, I'm just going to do some surf coaching one day a week just to diversifying (laughs) (laughs) and so we were still really connected with the surf school and they were doing there was an american organization called surfers for autism and they came out once a year to australia yeah to do pretty much what we are running now which was setting up the events the kids could come with their families and a whole bunch of local surfers surf schools would volunteer their time to allow the autistic kids and their, their families to to come to the beach for the day. And Talia and I were doing that. At one point it stopped just with things that were happening, whether it was the board or funding. And Talia and I are like, oh, no, like we can't, this can't stop because all the surfers were wanting to keep giving in some in some sense. So mm. Talia and I, <laughs> 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 we so thought, young, oh, yeah, so, so young, naive. <laughs> 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 easy. We talked to the owner of the surf school, like, well, we can't just let this stop. Let's just do it as a day. Let's just at least get, I think they used to have hundreds of kids come down. Like it was a huge event. <sighs> we were like, let's just, you know, do a little Facebook event and say, we've got, you know, 50 families want to come along. We can get them in the water. Thanks for the surf school. And I think in about 15 minutes, like all the spots were sold out and we're like, oh, no. So then we put up another 50 spots, <laughs> sold out again, and we're like, wow, okay. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was in demand. Like they families really wanted it. And so from that point, Talia and I thought, oh, we can't just not do this. Like we know how to do this so we could make this into something more and that's when we started did the whole all right let's do this let's create a charity (laughs) don't you think though that if you had been less naive to what it would actually involve that nobody would start anything like that sometimes it's better that you aren't aware (laughs) of just how much is ahead of you which is why the whole like start before you're ready thing is so valid because if you were ready you wouldn't start because you'd be like holy shit that's too hard yeah (laughs) it is too it was just I think we got 
it was like a startup fund. We we pitched oh, that. Yeah. It was the same thing that I had practice at from from my OT course was a, a call to action. We had three minutes to pitch our idea and, and you'd get the seed funding. It was a local community thing in Newcastle. And so with $1,000, which was our first money that we received as a charity, we're like, yes, that's where we got linked up with what was even more important were the mentors. And then they linked us up with the lawyers who actually did all the constitution and legal parts that it wouldn't have happened if we didn't have those connections. So it was really interesting to think like we at the start were like, we just need the money, we need money. But what was so important in that first part of setting up the charity was the connections because mm. yeah there's no way we could have paid for lawyers <laughs> that was definitely <laughs> going to be the case throughout our constitution and then you know get dgr status and mm. doing all these bits and pieces it was the connections so getting yourself out there which was not not my favorite thing or Talia's <laughs> favorite thing to do we both hate it but yeah it was worth it yeah funny what you can actually push yourself to do when you're like oh no this is, this is the only way. And I think purpose makes it so different. Like what you think that you aren't able to do until you, maybe you just haven't found the thing that you care enough about to push you to do it. Like when mm. there's a greater purpose driving yeah. your whole mission, it kind of, I don't know, it changes things. It's not just unattached yeah. to a purpose and, a, and something that you want to actually achieve as a legacy or to help others. I don't know. I feel like yeah. it, suddenly all the things aren't as scary when your purpose is so clear. But it's also really interesting to me that as someone whose first couple of sentences about your childhood were that you found such solace in nature and that the people part wasn't really your favourite, that the ongoing theme of how this whole journey developed for you was like, pivotal moments from mentors from people and interactions and relationships and connections even if it wasn't your forte that like it's often not so much what you can do or how you do it it's who you do it with or who helps you along the way and I think that's coming through so clearly that like you might have at different sliding doors moments chosen not to do it or not thought you could do it if you hadn't had people to sort of just just push you a little bit closer yes a hundred percent that's exactly <laughs> yeah. I would be <laughs> There's definitely those moments where I would have thought, no, I can't, I can't do this. This isn't something that I'm good at, would be the narrative in my mind mm. that goes over and over is I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. That one's that <laughs> that's a favorite for putting on repeat. Yeah. <laughs> Babe, I have that C D yeah, too. Oh my yeah, god. Nice. It's a bestseller. <laughs> yeah it's like really scratched well used it's Mm -hmm. it's been played a lot but um Mm -hmm. went platinum like it's on the aria charts (laughs) everyone in australia it's great yeah everyone can relate to that one i'm not good enough i can't do this but having yeah having those people there to sort of introduce you to those networks or or Mm. lead you in or where there's some points where yeah it's not going to happen unless you do it and I think that's what you were saying with regards to the the purpose and the families and the kids at the events give Talia and I a lot of purpose mm. along with the, the surfers as well. They are the ones that kind of, you know, when it was all stopping, they're like, well, we want to keep volunteering. Like what can oh. we do? What can we do? And we've never had an event where we haven't had enough volunteers. Like having volunteers <sighs> is not our problem. We usually have too many volunteers it's not oh my god like 
trying to, you know, really it's not a real challenge in that sense. Like they're getting just as much out of the day as as the kids who for some of them, you know, they they often don't get to the beach because of, well, whether the it's a single parent or just changes in routines, new environments, busy places, so especially the beach in on the weekend or in summer or where it can be pretty full on, whether it's the sensory experiences, whether it's the waves, whether it's the sand, the seaweed, the loud noises, the mm. sun, the brightness, all these, all these factors. And it's just so hard and challenging for parents to sometimes get the kids to get there. Like that's, that's the biggest challenge. And then when they're at the beach, knowing that it doesn't, it doesn't really matter what happens. Like if there's a meltdown, if they're not coping, no one's there judging them. And that's probably the biggest comment we get from, from our families is like, I don't feel judged. Mm. I can come to the beach as my family is, as they are just as they arrive and I'm accepted just as that. And, and to know that that's not something that they experience in almost any other environment that that they're in day to day is enough to know that's like okay this is this is really meaningful for these families oh my gosh so yeah i mean tell us a little bit more about how you designed what surfing the spectrum would offer and how often you do it if it's events mm. if there are like even just surf therapy in general i know there's so much research now into the benefits of water for mental health, physical health, like, uh, you mm. know, surfing a site, just water generally, then there's like surf-specific yep. therapy and then there's surfing the spectrum and what you guys offer in particular. How did you develop your program and, and what, what does it offer? I think definitely grew out of the, the surfers for autism, which was, was a, an American model which we sort of adapted. And obviously ours has grown and, and shifted over the last few years, which has now included neurodivergent members of our team so Jay is autistic and Jay originally came along as a volunteer and then their knowledge has been really powerful to making sure that we are allies to the autistic community Mm -hmm. and ensuring that what's coming through is, is supporting them so we run events at the moment so from pretty much the Gold Coast down to Gerringong on the south coast and then hopefully getting to Torquay this <gasps> summer. Yay! You can come along. Oh, my gosh, 100%. Yes. I'll keep you posted. Please do. And at the moment it sort of works that, that we'd sort of come in. It's a one-day event and we'd connect in with the local surf school in the area and for me as the OT, it's really important to make sure that we are enabling a community. Instead of coming in and offering something and then leaving mm. when the community's then left with not the resources, knowledge or know-how of how to continue this support, it's much more important for us to empower communities to build this for themselves. So we find it's really important to include the local surf school, get them on board, local therapy services and the autism community groups. So the kids come down, they sort of have like half-hour sessions in the water. They get like social stories sent to them beforehand so they have able to anticipate what's going to happen during the day. So for our autistic friends, the 
routine or in knowing what's coming next is quite grounding in that sense and reducing mm. anxiety, same as if you were going for an interview and you know the questions beforehand it's sort of like oh okay I know what to expect so we try and make sure that for all the kids they know what's going to happen throughout the day and then we train up the volunteers to support them with communication with social skills and get them in the water however they want to be in the water so our motto is just to be safe and have fun so there's obviously an idea out there about how surfing should look. And for yeah. us, it's very much stripping that back to be like, surfing can be whatever you want it to be. It can be lying on a boogie board, it can be sitting on a surfboard, it can be body surfing, but it's that knowing that how therapeutic our relationship is with, with the water, like you were saying before, mm-hmm. there is more research coming out around surf therapy. And we know that autistic children and autistic people in general are quite drawn to bodies of water and whether that's to do with we'd call it like the proprioceptive input or that's our body awareness. So knowing where our body is in space. So shifting that whole, obviously it changes so much when we're in water or we're floating in water and you often find they like to spend a lot of time under the water because perhaps that sensory experience is giving them a better or different understanding of where their body is in space. Yeah, so we just want to encourage whatever their experience is of surfing yeah whatever that's going to look like and so yeah our events will run up and down the coast local surf schools and then at the moment we're just setting up a training program for surf coaches to be able to then keep these sessions ongoing in their community so whether that's being able to access the NDIS and for the participants to keep engaging with their local surf school and keep building up their skills whether it's I must have had one kid, this was in Port Macquarie, and they was, he was so unsure about coming to the beach. He had quite low tone, so his body and his muscles were quite weak, I guess is the way to describe it. Mum and dad, like they came hours late because it had been so hard for mum and dad to get the two brothers to come to the beach for the day and shift them out of their usual routine. But they got there, they were quite unsure about it, didn't really want to have a go, so a lot of it is is following their lead but still giving them autonomy and choice and saying well you know we can sit on the surfboard up here or maybe we can go down down to the shoreline eventually getting him in the water catching a few waves and just the smile on his face was (gasps) huge and he came in he was like this is better than the ipad (laughs) and it was just like yes all right we've got him (laughs) now we're gonna get him out of the water now we're gonna get him out of the water but it was just knowing that because that is obviously another a big component to the physical activity side of things so with, with autism there's the neurological component, but that also impacts motor skills and function mm. along with, you know, if there's medication that kids are taking, which is shifting their weight gain. So physical activity just on its own is so important. But being able to combine that with connecting with a community group of surfers outside is kind of where the magic sort of happens, I think. Oh, my gosh. It mm. just sounds extraordinary. I can't mm. wait for you to come to Torquay. I want yes. to come Yes. So much to an event. I don't know where I will fit in because I am not a good enough server to coach anybody. No, you don't have to be. There's like there's like sand play and sand castles <gasps> on the beach. Sand play. <laughs> I can help sand with sand play. Ca- okay, perfect, perfect. I can be the sand castle queen. 
So I also know that like very soon you're having your next fundraiser and I imagine part of a not-for-profit is, you know, as you mentioned, there's no shortage of volunteers, which is incredible. There's no shortage of ideas. There's no shortage of need, but like actually funding the activities Mm. that you do is like the really difficult bit. And even just there's so much generosity out there, but it's just connecting with that. To the cause that you're actually working on. So this Saturday, the 20th of August, what do you have going on and how can we support it? (laughs) Well, there are so many ways to support it. I've tried to make it as easily supportable as possible. (laughs) We are, yeah, yeah. Any platform you can support us. We have, for those people that live locally to Newcastle, obviously there's, there's a paddle battle on in the morning where people are doing a little paddle race. They've all got their profiles though that you can donate to. It's five kilometres and we've got a couple of the board riders teams are all joining in and all their board rider team members are jumping on board to to do paddle (laughs) the five kilometres on any sort of craft. So that one is the first time we've done something like that. So one's going to be a little bit interesting. (laughs) I don't exactly know how it's going to work. Again, which is the exciting thing, if I knew how it was going to work, maybe I wouldn't do it or wouldn't have done it, but... Yeah, it's best time there. for everything. That's Gotta right. try it. <laughs> and then at the night time we have an evening event at the local gin distillery in Newcastle at Earps with some local bands, some pretty good auction prizes as well Amazing. and raffle tickets. But what we're doing is that the auction prizes, there's like a must be two nights at Crown Towers with the <gasps> Opera House, Opera House views and champagne oh. at the Sky Deck and a few other things, and there's like a Mark Richards is a surfer here in Newcastle. He's a four-time world champ. He's donated one of his own boards oh. to auction off. So we're doing it live on Instagram. First time again huh, for everything. <laughs> <laughs> so but that means anyone can be. Anyone, like anyone can, can bid. jump on. Anyone can jump on. Or we've also got some pretty amazing raffle tickets and raffle prizes that are also online. So anyone can buy a raffle ticket. Oh, my gosh, you've thought of it all. I know, I know. So anyone, no matter where you are in Australia at least, can jump on board for any of those things. I suppose, like you said, yeah, no shortage of volunteers and the support is out there. But Erica Gleason, she founded Autism Swim, which is another really amazing grassroots charity. She had a video the other day which she said and it really resonated with me. She's like, I... I don't own Autism Swim and for Talia and I, it's the same. We don't own Surfing the Spectrum. In essence, it's owned by the community. Mm. We're just here to serve the community in running the charity. No one can own a charity except for the community. So the only reason why they exist is because it's a community need and the only way they can keep existing is if we're supported through the community. So that resonated with me a lot because I think sometimes people can look on the outside and they get a bit oh it's going so well things are going really well and and they are it's great we've got such a great reach and and we're fulfilling a lot of the missions that that we have but it's based on what the community have presented as their missions it's it's just being enacted through Talia and I we're just bringing it to life but it's Mm. what is come through from the community and it's yeah it's really owned by the community, these small grassroots charities. Yeah. I love how that ties in with what you said before about over the last sort of 12 months, being okay with 
being guardians for what's happening and like you've created this movement that kind of transcends people. It's now its own thing with its own momentum Mm. and I think that's so incredible that you've created this thing that now if you one day weren't around, it's still got its own life, you know what I mean? Like that is so incredibly special to think this will transcend me. Like that's extraordinary. Yeah, that's that's the goal in that sense, yeah. Yeah, well... I am just so inspired by you and I can't wait for it to come further down south. But we'll absolutely share all the links to the raffle tickets and the live for this Saturday. Saturday? Yeah, Saturday Saturday, the 20th. Saturday. Saturday the 20th of August. Everyone listening in the neighborhood, please tune in and support in any way that you can. We'll, of course, make a neighborhood donation as well. But if you can all tune in on Saturday, that would be extraordinary. Thank you guys so much. Thank you. Amy, you're just doing amazing things and um, congratulations as well. Like, as you mentioned, it's a long journey. It's not easy to, like, DGR status alone is like a total (laughs) disaster. (laughs) In a a good disaster in in the end. Yeah, no, it's been a great and is still a great journey. I wouldn't have wanted to do, yeah, anything else. I'm happy with the pathway, I suppose, and being open to what's arriving. Amazing. Well, very last question just to finish up. Do you have a quote that kind of represents serving the spectrum or that you would like to leave everyone with on their own pathways? Do I have a quote? I don't. No, do I have a quote? (laughs) (laughs) I suppose there was some words that I was saying to a group of fourth year OT students that I had, and that was sort of around passion. That might be, I guess, guess of relevance from definitely what we've said today, but talking that passion is each and every moment that you're alive. So don't give in to that societal expectation that it is somewhere outside of yourself. So each day instead be useful. Don't wait for passion. Be useful, solve problems, connect with people and find ease because this is where you will see motion. For remember, passion is a feeling and energy and you will start to see your passion arise where your energy and effort reaches someone's need. Oh, my gosh, that's beautiful and so <laughs> perfect for everything we've spoken about and everything that this show is about. So mm. thank you so much for your time, Amy, and I hope this weekend and beyond goes incredibly. Thanks so much. Oh, as promised, there will be links to everything for Saturday and beyond in the show notes. Please get behind Amy and Surfing the Spectrum. I mean, what a woman and what an incredible initiative. I would so love the neighborhood to help spread the word by sharing the episode to thank Amy for her time and work, tagging Surfing the Spectrum and, of course, us so we can keep growing the neighborhood as far and wide as possible. I am somehow off again to another overseas wedding, truly seizing the A at the moment before the family chapter of our life begins and the spontaneity maybe slows down a tiny bit. So not saying no to any of life's delights, but as I mentioned, the adoption episode will be going live with another amazing guest and story shortly after that. So you won't be missing out, I promise. I hope you're having an amazing week and are seizing your yay. And of course, if you haven't caught up yet, you might not have heard, I'm pretty sure you have. We have a new show called Feast Pod with three or four time, maybe five time guests now, Khan Ong, one of my dearest friends, which has 
has been such a hoot. Speaking of spontaneity, it literally started 24 hours after we first had the idea. That was only a couple of weeks ago and we're about to be four episodes in so far. So Feast is our spicy little sister, a little bit cheekier than Seize the Yay. But if you run out of yay in the meantime, head on over to Feast Pod for some chaotic laughs and serious curiosity quenching. I hope you guys enjoy that just as much.